With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Welcome to After 9. I'm your host, Rez Krebs, and today we've got the political panel, Eric Allen, Art Betke, and James Steidel. Thanks for joining us, James. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I want to start out, we haven't talked about the Ukraine, the, the continuing war in the Ukraine for quite some time. Recently, there was some uh, news coming out of a conference on the conflict that there is a lot of support, including uh, including public support from Great Britain for, for Ukraine to join NATO. There was a, a, a qualifier on that, that only once hostilities have ended would NATO be... Uh, considering Ukraine joining. Um, but that, I mean, that message, we've talked a lot about the issue with uh, NATO expansion, perhaps driving Russia to be so aggressive and, and including, um, including beginning this, starting this war with Ukraine, you know, functionally in 2014. Um, what do we think here, Eric? I mean, Ukraine joining NATO, is this, is this a, a logical expansion of the self-defense pact or is this really just a way to continue to push Russia into a box? Yeah, I don't know what the, uh, the real intent is there, but as a general rule, the Americans and Britain are in on it. They're playing the game. It's a muscle game. You can push them with the presence. And I think that's what's going on. Actually, I would like to see them come to an agreement. Let the people in the Ukraine vote which way they want to go, and then close the file. Move on. But uh, I never seemed to want to do that. It took 75 years for Ho Chi Minh to get all the foreign people out of this country. 75 years before they actually had uh, Vietnam for the Vietnamese. And after that, they became, guess who, the best traders. Who were the best customers in the United States? So interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Broadcasting. Yeah. Uh, Art, what do you think about this? Well, I'm glad to hear that they're not going to uh, allow uh, Ukraine to join NATO until uh, after the war is over, because that would uh, they, they have the agreement in NATO. The whole idea is that a, an attack on one is an attack on all, and uh, if they allow Ukraine to join now, that would draw all the NATO countries into the war with Russia, and this would be an extremely bad thing. Uh, they're sort of de facto at war now because they're they're giving Ukraine all the assistance that's needed to fight the Russians. Without that, uh, Ukraine would have been gone in the couple, first couple of weeks. Uh, so, yeah, and and they're they're pushing how wonderful it will be to have Ukraine uh, as a member. Ukraine. Uh, was a thriving economy before the war, a huge producer of wheat in the world and uh, industrial stuff, and uh, they all got the snot kicked out of them now, and it's going to take an awful lot to repay. Uh, this report I read said that uh, the European Union said that Russia was going to pay for all the damage it caused. And I can't see that. I just, sorry, I just can't see Putin saying, okay, sorry, I'm going to pay for it all. No, I can't see that happening. Yeah. Unless somehow they're forced to and 
How are they going to force them? Uh, right? Sanctions and stuff like that. I don't know. They've already got the, the more, sanctions. Yeah, on, and the you more know. you put on, the less their economy is and the less ability they have to pay. So I can't see that happening. But I guess, I guess there is a plan uh, to redistribute the frozen assets, right? There is that uh, cash. That there's you get. talk about it, but there's no legal means to do it yet. So, right. Interesting. Uh, uh, what do you think here, James? Uh, Ukraine joining NATO. I mean, even even just putting that out there as the as a possibility is that is that just more threats? I mean, functionally, I, mean, I don't know what the difference is now. I guess it would be actual troops, NATO troops fighting Russia rather than just all the material that we're sending. Yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, the the war's got to end. Uh, it's just ridiculous what's going on over there. Um, you know, I, I stand with the Ukrainian people to have their own uh, ability to to find out how they want to go on in life as under what uh, flag they want to live and all that. But uh, I think there's some other stuff going on in the background uh, that we need to talk about. Um, you know, at that conference uh, in London there, there's a, a big talk about uh, getting investment going into the Ukraine. So, yeah. uh, you know, how, how to get the Ukrainian economy back online. And, and we've got to talk about these huge multinational uh, flows of capital uh, that that want to see NATO expand it to Ukraine to guarantee their capital investments. And I think that's kind of a big driving uh, thing behind the NATO expansion is basically uh, using, you know, the military power of the West to protect uh, hedge fund investments. Um, I was looking at um, this Oakland Institute this morning. They're, they're a uh, NGO based out of California uh, run by one of the guys who owns Ben & Jerry's Ice Cream. And they're kind of focused on looking at uh, who controls land in developing countries. And uh, already in Ukraine, um, you know, over almost a third of Ukraine's arable land is owned by oligarchs, corrupt individuals, and large agribusinesses. Um, and when they talk about expanding investment in the Ukraine, it's going to be a lot of big uh, hedge fund owners going to be buying Ukrainian farmland. Uh, there's big opportunities being talked about for Western biotech, pesticide technology, chemical companies. They they think that they can increase the productivity of Ukrainian farms by 30%, right? So uh, I think this is kind of a big a big uh, driver in the background that needs to be talked about. And is that why we're going to war? I mean, that's uh, it's funny. It's 20 years now since the Iraq war. Uh, and I feel like we're having deja vu all over again with uh, huge businesses really, really, uh, really interested in getting their sinking their teeth into those markets. Right. Yeah. Um, and the same thing was happening there with Enron and all the all the folks in the White House had some kind of interest in the corporations that ended up really benefiting from the destruction that, that the, the war machine had 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 un, unleashed on on that country. I mean, it's interesting you say that. I think. It, it, yeah, it sounds really familiar to me. Any other points, you guys? Yeah, well, just oh, sorry. Go ahead, Art. I, I was just going to agree with you. It's follow the money, and it seems like uh, I, I saw an interview recently about one fellow, sort of an undercover talk. He didn't know he was being recorded about how they uh, they control it. They love the war, and the longer the war goes on, the more money they make. So, yeah. Uh, Whenever there's a conflict like that, look for the money. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're a concrete producer or you're a a uh, fertilizer producer, you're going to be reaping lots of cash in the next few. And the whole country is going to have to be rebuilt. Yeah, 
uh, billions and billions of dollars, and a lot of Western companies are going to profit from that. So. Big time. Yeah, I, I don't want to like just pick on the West, though. I mean, let's let's be honest. I think Russia had the same goal, yeah. right, with the invasion. So, yeah, they would have been able to take over the land and then and then do their own industrial competition, right? But yeah. at this point, they're going to be shut out. It looks like it anyway. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's, you know, people come and people go. I was watching the other day on TV the uh, uh, how the British wanted to trade tea with China, and China wouldn't trade any tea with them. And so then they started shipping uh, opium into China, hundreds of millions of tons over time, and came up with a couple hundred million opium addicts. And then they wouldn't send them any more opium unless they gave them tea. And then that's how they got the tea trade going. Now, if you think about that, you know, that's not a good thing, but that's what they do. And the other one was in in Africa with the Zulus. Britain was losing or the Boer War or whatever and would have lost. Those Zulus were pretty smart. They knew how to fight. I guess they almost got Michael Caine, you know. Yeah. But the thing is, Somebody by that time had uh, invented the Gatling gun. They took the Gatling gun over there and shot 100,000 people. That's how they won the war. So uh, this fracas going on in the Ukraine is just part of a bigger picture. But our history, all through time, that's what happens all the time. All the time. And Iraq was the same thing. You know, And I get a little upset about some of this stuff because <clears throat> we sat on our couches and watched... The invasion of Iraq, and they called it shock, shock and, awe. and awe. Yeah, the big uh, fireworks show yeah. there. Yeah, and so we're sitting there watching it. The rockets are going in, bombing these people. Ask the wife to bring you another beer. You don't want to miss anything. And check your eyes, see if you're any tears. Not too many tears around. And then a little while later, when they get some revenge and they bomb that building in the U.S. and kill three thousand people as opposed to sixty thousand, half the country's crying. Look what they did to us. Look what they did. Yeah. So it's nationalism, it's politics, it's money, it's all those things. And how do you stop it? We've got to get rid of the nation state, Eric. Get rid of the nation state, go back to little little provinces. You know, know, the whole principle of capitalism is to... Distribute power and then and then have the power centers fight against each other in a friendly uh, battle for uh, you know um, business and, and profit. And the idea there is, if you have good competition, nobody's going to get too rich. Um, and when you yeah, allow if you can, the, when, if you can maintain those, that competition, then you can actually have a functional system. Yeah, yeah. And, when, and once you get these big centers of power, that's where you get all this problem. These all these problems. I know, and I don't disagree with you, but I will tell you this. When we had that system, limited companies, reasonable profit, good-paying jobs over periods of time, we all sat there and slept while they took it away from us. Yeah. And they basically stole it while we sat on a couch and watched them take it. And we think we're smart. Well, I'm here to tell you we're not. We've got these pipelines going through. We've, we're exporting LNG. We're doing all kinds of things. And once that infrastructure's there, like this one that just opened up at Husky Oil there, 30 per full-time jobs but Prince George Pope they just got rid of 300 yeah Alcan got upgraded they got when they started the new mill we were 400 jobs short we're being taken to the cleaners and nobody's saying anything about it well we can send all of our pulp mill workers over to the Ukraine to rebuild that's, yeah. uh, that's but they I won't mean, go because they're on cushy pensions and they've got to go to a coffee break 
No, we're, not, we're nowhere near what we used to be after the Korean War. Don't ever kid yourself. It's a different country entirely. No, I mean, the, what, what James, I think, is talking about is that increase in, in the number of monopolies, the lack. We have in, in Canada, we have no real strong antitrust legislation, right? Competition Bureau is a joke. Uh, we're moving from the, U- the war in the Ukraine to monopolies. But, I mean, you know, Rogers can buy up as many. Rogers can buy up Shaw. There's no problem there. Right, we have like we we don't have. There's an illusion of choice happening in this country. But, but I mean, just like as a, as a general philosophy, we ask about you know what what can we do about this war in Ukraine? As a general philosophy, I think as as a human species, we've got to uh, move away from this idea of empire and move towards this idea of friendly competition and much smaller much smaller levels. Making you know? decisions locally, making decisions locally, having more power over governance at the local level, and not allowing federal entities to get so powerful. And, you know, like there's, yeah. they sh- you know, something like you're Canada. Assuming, should, you're assuming that, uh, that all, all these people are going to work together. This is all utopian, uh, whatever. Work. We're allowed to talk doesn't about work. this on, on 93.1. You're, you're assuming everybody's going to play fair. No. Yeah. You get a bunch of small little states all friendly and working together, and some big bully oh, no, state is going to come along and take over. Well, then we've got to stop like those That's how guys. Russia in, invaded Ukraine. <laughs> you know, so... All right, well, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back after these messages to solve all the rest of the world's problems. Featuring the latest songs from artists in Canada and from around the world. Hosted by DJs from coast to coast to coast. 30 minutes of Canada's newest music downloaded exclusively from the Earshot's digital distribution system. For more information about the show, check out earshot-distro.ca. Listen up, Canada. This is your show on your station. Canada's Earshot Daily. Weekday nights at 1130 here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Attention, Prince George fashionistas. Discover LA Fashion and Apparel, your ultimate destination for stunning women's clothing at 1661 Spruce Street or online at lafashion.ca. Find a curated selection of fashion-forward garments that will make heads turn. Shop from the comfort of your home and enjoy free delivery in Prince George. Elevate your style and embrace your confidence with LA Fashion and Apparel. Visit 1661 Spruce Street or lafashion.ca. LA Fashion and Apparel where fashion meets passion. Alban Classical presents Classical Downtown Saturday at the First Baptist Church. This evening chamber concert features oboist Erica Scowron, clarinetist Simon Cole, violist Jose Delgado Govera, and pianist Hannah Kang playing works from three classical masters as well as two by Jose Delgado Govera, including the world premiere of Him for Oboe, Clarinet, and Viola. Admission is free thanks to grants from the City of Prince George and the Musicians Performance Trust Fund. Classical Downtown, 7.30 Saturday evening at First Baptist Church, 5th and Gillette. Forecast from Environment Canada. Sunny today, a mix of sun and cloud this afternoon with a 30% chance of showers and the risk of a thunderstorm late this afternoon. A high of 26 with a high UV index. Partly cloudy tonight with a low of 8. For Saturday, a mix of sun and cloud, the risk of a thunderstorm late in the afternoon, a high of 28 with a high UV index. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we've got uh, we're back with the political panel. I want to shift gears here and look at uh, some some what I would characterize as nonsense happening in Ottawa. I know that sounds a little bit redundant, but uh, we've got uh, Sam Cooper, who was a journalist who was you know really involved in in breaking all this news earlier this year about Chinese interference in Canadian democracy. Uh, he specifically he actually wrote a couple of articles that. Um, 
Im, you know, impugned Han Dong, said that maybe he was he had been talking to the the Chinese state officials about uh, about the two Michaels, etc. You know, based on leaks from from CSIS, uh, and we had we had liberal MPs. Uh, actually, uh, kind of asking him about his journalistic ethics, um, asking to see, uh, the, uh, a- asking to, for his sources, etc. I mean, he wants, the, the issue here is that, of course, his sources need to be secret because if they came forward, they would probably be prosecuted. And they also, these liberal MPs also claim that because of what the, uh, David Johnson said in his, uh, his report, that clearly Sam Cooper got everything wrong. Uh, Sam Cooper is still standing behind the 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 journalism that he produced and the editorial process that uh, that came with it. Uh, what do we think here, Art? Are we uh, sh- does the does the government need to be asking journalists uh, these kinds of questions when it comes to issues of national security and and frankly libel potential libel here? Well, liberals are a little bit shocked because they're just totally unused to uh, journalists contradicting them or saying that uh, they did something wrong and and they're quite upset by this that's why they're questioning him and trying to discredit him uh but you know cooper is standing firm and uh, that indicates to me that he has the evidence and uh, i also hear some of his claims have been verified which the liberals disputed and that further reinforces his claims to my mind uh and and you know he's he's supporting the call for a public inquiry and that tells me he's not afraid of what it will uncover so i suspect the liberals are uh, trying to they're they're running scared they're they're trying to uh, divert attention away they're trying to stop the the facts from getting out and uh, they're just not used to the the press uh, not supporting them so the uh it's funny because this is coming on the heels of uh, C-18 passing and the Heritage Minister saying, you know, the government of Canada stands behind fact-based journalism. What do you think here, James? I mean, this points to big questions about the, the government's role in uh, in the journalism industry, actually. Yeah, I, I, you know, the, the story on the Chinese influencer is something I haven't uh, followed super closely. You sent out the article there, so I did uh, do some reading there. Um, I mean, it comes down to whether or not Han, Han Dong was... Uh, meeting with the Chinese consulate and providing some advice there as to when to release uh, the Canadians that were held in the Chinese jail. And it sounds like he actually did did have that meeting. And He had the meeting. We don't know what they said in the meeting. Yeah. yeah. And and at this point, I watched a little video clip there of Sam Cooper getting grilled. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, that, I, I don't want to – I can't really comment too much on that story. We don't, we don't know enough. Um, but uh, as far as the bigger issue of journalism – uh, you know, it, it, we've got a big problem in this country that uh, C-18, like you said, just passed. Uh, you may have noticed a article that Facebook's going to stop carrying uh, Canadian print media on its website uh, in response to C-18. So C-18 yeah. is going to require uh, these big social media giants like Facebook, who get a ton of advertising revenue uh, flowing in. Um, the people, you know, like a good example is the city of Prince George pays uh, Facebook money to advertise google and, google and facebook take 51 cents of every advertising dollar spent globally yeah a huge amount it's gone up and then and then the media like uh, something like the prince George citizen they they get a smaller and smaller share of that advertising uh budget so they're going broke is what's happening and so c18 is basically trying to stem uh you know to to uh to stop the uh the bleeding 
And it's going to require these social media giants to negotiate with the media companies to share some of that advertising revenue. And then in response, they're just going to they're just going to shut off the news sites completely from being shared on their platforms, which is crazy. Um, I, I think uh, my prediction is we're going to see the loss of a huge number of newspapers as a result of this. I think the Prince George Citizen, I think its days are numbered. Um, and I think... Uh, at the local level, I think the, the citizens of Prince George need to ask themselves, well, what can we do to, to help uh, maintain local media? Because we need it. This is, this is kind of what I'm getting at. You know, with C-18, you've got this putative carrot from the federal government saying, hey, you know, we're supporting media by making a mechanism for you to get funding. And then you've got this stick. Oh, but if you say something that we don't like, we're going to bring you in front of the House of Commons Committee and grill you, right? Eric, what do you think here? Well, I think I think the fact that well, I agree with Art actually. It's kind of strange. We don't normally agree, but that's okay, Art. The story <laughs> stands, and uh, I agree. I th- uh, this is a rabbit hole. That's all it is. Here we are in Prince George, and the rest of the country. We've got a huge, huge homeless problem. We have politicians who are getting paid huge wages, not doing any work, and they got us talking about. China, political interference. No, they've got us talking about the House of Commons demanding the journalists come in front of them and, and respond to the like our elected individuals, right? They this, have, that's a, I think that crosses a huge line. The, yeah, I agree with you 100%. They, they've got a, committees that they can set up and do this if there's a reason to believe a crime was committed. We went through all of this type of thing with the Gerda Munsinger thing and and, uh, the, you know, she was a conservative, sleeping with a couple of conservative uh, cabinet ministers and questioning whether she, and she was spying for the Germans. This is old hat, recycled with a different name on it or something. It's a diversionary tactic so you don't look at what's really happening in the country, what's happening to our news media, what's happening to all our jobs. And, uh, you know, we used to, you know, we even manipulate our job numbers now to make it look good. You know, like if they were to put, as an example, university students uh, as being unemployed, it would be a totally different situation in this country. But they don't show them. They show them while they're going to school, so they can't work. They do the same thing with uh, these part-timers. They'll count them twice uh, if they're working at two different places. That's all manipulation. We shouldn't be having to put up with that. We're paying big money to have these guys do a good job for us, and they're not doing it. It's not being done, and that's what we got to change. And there, I agree with uh, uh, James there that we have to find another way of doing this. And I'm working on that now myself. And if I have to do it myself, I'll do it. I'll stand out, and I've done it before. I'll stand out in the street and say it. And if they try to go after the par three golf course again in Prince George, I'll be standing there with a sign saying "Pee off." Okay. <laughs> uh, so we've gone from <laughs> overstepping the bounds of uh, parliamentary. Uh, <laughs> it's committee. all the same. It comes it's out of the, the same, same basket. And we've we've moved. You've heard it here first. I think Eric Allen just said he's going to start his own government. Is that what you were basically? <laughs> <laughs> and I might add, I got lots of support. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I, I do want to. C eighteen kind of came up. Uh, it, it passed and and got royal assent yesterday. It was after we had I had kind of sent these topics out to the panel, but it is a huge issue. Facebook immediately took down, like said that they would be taking down all news. They did the same thing in Australia, but then they walked it back, right? And I just wonder whether that's because Australian news is almost entirely owned by Rupert Murdoch, and Rupert Murdoch has has other means of of putting pressure on. Uh, 
on big on big corporations like Facebook. Here we don't have the same kind of massive um, international owners of our news media. We do have things like Bell Media, which just laid off thirteen hundred journalists. Uh, they make all their money from uh, basically renting the public wireless uh, uh, infrastructure and charging Canadians exorbitant fees. And although it's not uh, a written agreement, they are meant to also serve us in terms of journalism. They do have a few uh, obligations in terms of local journalism. But yeah, I think James is right. We're, we're heading down a pretty dark place. We're not going to have many uh, professional journalists left here. No. Well, I don't know if we have any more time before the break, but uh, just quickly, you know, like we, we do have the CBC and, you know, they've got the radio, they've got the airwaves, they've got a website that a lot of people go to. So I think, you know, that might be one of the hopes, but um, uh, I think the CBC really needs to pick up its game as far as local coverage. I mean, here locally in Prince George, like, you know, we don't see any of the CBC journalists going to Prince George City Council. You know, that's all kind of dished off on the um, on the private media to cover. Um you know, on Daybreak North, they could be talking a lot about institutional failures and and some you know some more important kind of heavier topics. And it's a lot of just kind of fluffy, feel good stories. And 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 they've got a big budget and a big newsroom, and and they should be uh, picking up the slack. I think if things go sideways as far as uh, coverage. All right. Well, we'll have to leave it there. We got a short break coming up, and then we'll be back after these messages. Learn how to engage as a volunteer, which types of not-for-profit organizations work in BC, different structures, types of not-for-profit leadership, and what it means to be a board member in a new workshop from Vantage Point. Volunteering on boards, how and why to join a board, is free for select individuals in BC. Registration and full details are available through the events calendar page under training at thevantagepoint.ca. Volunteering on Boards, 1 o'clock Wednesday, July 11th from The Vantage Point. Transforming not-for-profit leadership. Are you a leader who wants to take their leadership to the next level? Do you have an emerging leader on your team who needs support? At Pivot Leader, our Leaders in Business program combines leadership training with one-on-one coaching to help leaders just like you. You'll learn how to deal with people better, handle conflict, hire and keep staff, delegate more effectively, read financial statements, and learn coaching skills to move your team along. There's a less stressful way to improve your outcomes. We can show you how. If you'd like to be a better leader, reach out to us today at pivotleader.com. Pivot Leader will help you grow, train, and sell your business. I'm Guylaine Tanguay, and I'm pleased to invite you to the fifth edition of Tout pour la musique on June 24th. Come celebrate Saint-Jean-Baptiste with me and many other francophone artists, including Étienne Fletcher, Charles Jobin, Kelly Bado, Céleste Lévy, and Les Deux Frères. Fifteen artists from across Canada will be on stage, and they've got quite a show in store for you. Join us on UNITV on June 24th to celebrate Saint-Jean-Baptiste and French culture with Tout pour la musique. Vantage Point offers several bursaries to staff and board members of eligible organizations through generous donors such as the City of Vancouver, the City of New Westminster, and public contributions. Each bursary has specific eligibility requirements. More information about a particular bursary is available from that bursary's program coordinator. A list of bursaries and an application link for the Vantage Point bursary program are available through the Find a Bursary link under training at thevantagepoint.ca. Vantage Point, transforming not-for-profit leadership. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. 
We're back with the political panel, and we're going to move on to a uh, last week. Actually, a week ago, the premier was in town. Uh, he announced that the province has signed a memorandum of understanding with the city of Prince George to become a pilot for the Heart and Hearth programs. That's Homeless Encampment Action Response Teams and Homeless Encampment uh, action response temporary housing, I believe. One of them is a fund. Hearth is a fund to uh, actually build and maintain and service transitional housing or supportive housing for people who are currently homeless. And Heart is actually multidisciplinary outreach to encampments, try to um, what they call entrenched encampments, to try to get people to in, into programs, into services, and into housing. Um, what I found really interesting here is that Really, what the province has said is we will take on through BC Housing responsibility for the services that uh, these homeless encampments actually need. Homeless people actually need, including water, sewer, etc. Um, this is something that the 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 city of Prince George has been has been pushing back against and and trying to say like you know this is not our responsibility. Uh, I just wanted to you know ask the panel here if you've had a chance to read the memorandum of understanding and what do you think about this move. Uh, for a long time, I saw the city as kind of shirking responsibility, but they seem to have actually uh, gotten what they wanted. Uh, and maybe this was actually a good long-term, a long-term move from the city to say, "Hey, you know, province, get down here and, and start putting some funds in." James, yeah, I think uh, you got to hand it to the current city council. They worked pretty hard uh, to get to David DB to meet up with the city, and um, uh, David DB was in town there last week, and they had a big uh, conference there. I guess when you you were. Were you there, Rez? So we should maybe put you in a hot spot and see how that how that went and what was discussed. But uh, sure, I mean, uh, let let's hope it uh, leads to something positive. There's we've got a, a huge crisis in this city. Um, I think the details are a little bit vague from what from what I've read with the uh, with the uh, MOU. But um, it does say right at the bottom, this is not a legally binding document, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just I, I just an understanding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, th- I think uh, the city actually bears a lot of, obviously, a big, uh, and the province, but let, let's not uh, lose sight that the city has, you know, and I wrote about this in my column there a couple weeks ago, about uh, kind of a long-term, decade-long policy to clean up downtown as being basically to get rid of kind of the, a little bit more of the, what you might call the rougher kind of bars, the Prince George Hotel, the Roadhouse, you know, the Canadian, and these were all places that, um, they're a little bit, a uh, little bit. You could call them a dive bar or whatever, but they offered a safe place for people to to hang out and uh, consume alcohol. And you know, I had a, an old high uh, elementary school friend that um, had some tough times and lived in the Prince George Hotel. You know, it was a place of sanctuary, uh, and they could you know have a good time. You know, they weren't subject to a lot of these rules that a lot of this, the social housing kind of requires. It results in a lot of people getting evicted because they have friends over or whatever. And but we don't like those places, right? We think they're we think they devalue downtown, so we got rid of all of them. And, oh, now there's nothing here. And and what happens? I mean, that a lot of that community just moves to the street. Yeah, there were 14 bars downtown not too long ago, right? Yeah. Now so we might have three. So now now you have open drug and alcohol consumption on the street, and and this, that's a direct result, I would argue, and people will disagree with me. Um, but uh, I think that's a direct result of a lot of that kind of clean up downtown policies. And, and what do we get in exchange, right? We got the Wood Innovation Center, which basically is just a, it, it may as well just be a big brick wall with nothing there. Like, uh, there's some government a, office buildings. There's an I, entire floor in there that's, that's vacant. Yeah. And they just moved those offices from across the road. They used to be at Ramada, right? So there's nothing really new. Uh, 
that's my two cents. <laughs> Eric, uh, what do you think about this MOU? You think that we're going to see some action here and actually get some some cash flowing and some services delivered? Well, I certainly hope so. <clears throat> I'd like to see it uh, happen, but you know, we talked before about the, what's going on in the First Avenue. They got one building done after about two years, and they're going to have the second one done maybe in the fall of 2024. And then the third one might be done sometime after that. So it's not exactly a speed race or anything. And I think myself being, uh, you know, always thinking that maybe there's somebody hiding behind a tree somewhere. I think it's all a lead into the next election. And so you got to be seen to be doing something going into that election. And so now they're getting it out there. And, uh, EB or, uh, the mayor, you was saying that he was nice to see that EB met with him three times. But if you read the article, you see that he came up for the uh, construction thing and then met with them. That was in January. In April, he came up for the construction thing, and then he met with them. And now this time he came in. And we're getting closer to an election. So are they going to do it? I think they can do it. There's, there's things that can be done, and this whole thing could be resolved in a couple of years or less if you get people that want to do it. And my suggestion has been all along, you take our situation with people in homelessness you take it and you make it number one priority and you put it at the top of the list and if they want to go and build all these goofy things and spend all the money on these goofy projects a percentage of that has to go to the homeless right off the top otherwise you don't do it end of story and if you don't like it and if it's going to cost you money in this town then move out Art. I mean, we 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 saw a really hilarious uh, political cartoon a couple of weeks ago of uh, a burning building across the street from the NDP fire hall, and the NDP fire hall uh, firemen are saying, "Hey, we've got a plan for that." Right? <laughs> I mean, is this is this more of that, or do you think we're going to see some action here? I don't know. I don't think we're going to see the right kind of action. Um, the city definitely needs help. You know, they're restricted on what they can do with the homeless and uh, crime downtown. That's uh, housing and crime is a provincial jurisdiction. And so it's good to hear that they're uh, they're coming to help. But, wow, is this the right kind of help? Um, I didn't see anything in the announcement that indicates they're going to get tough and enforce the laws uh, and punish lawbreakers. And... Uh, uh, and enforce bylaws and things like that. Because without this, basically what they're doing is enabling. Uh, they're condoning and aiding and abetting irresponsible lifestyles and uh, even criminal behavior. And uh, a, a lot of homeowners will be rather upset. You know, they work for 25, 30, 40 years to pay off a mortgage and buy their own housing. And these people are going to get free housing, free food, free drugs, free everything. Uh, other people can't afford to buy a house, so they have to pay rent all their lives. And they don't get anything free. There's going to be a lot of resentment amongst the people who are responsible for themselves. Now, I saw a little video about homelessness and drug problem in San Francisco. And one of the people there said uh, she was in San Fran because they don't enforce the laws. They allow open drug use on the streets. And that she would be arrested back in her hometown of Oakland, where she came from, for doing that. So are they going to enforce the laws here? If they don't, you're going to get San Francisco. San Francisco is basically the worst hellhole of um, of homelessness and drug use in in the United States. 
And there was a, a woman who lived in San Francisco uh, about a month ago. She decided she didn't like all the nasty things that were being said about it because there's parts of San Francisco that are great, no problem at all. And she figured she's going to go and do her own investigation and write a report telling people what it's really like. And she got her eyes opened and she said, no, it's all true. It's terrible there. So we got to be careful or we're going to do the same thing here. Yeah, I wonder if uh, hopefully what we'll see is that the people who need help move inside and won't be doing open drug use anymore. But we'll have to take a short break. We'll be back after these messages. This year's team of riders for the annual Comps for Cancer Tour to North is set. The team will spend the next six months training and fundraising as they prepare to cycle over 800K across seven days in September. Funds raised go towards life-saving childhood cancer research and Camp Good Times. The Tour to North team will set out on September 15th from Prince George and finish in Prince Rupert on September 21st. To learn more about the program or to donate, please visit tourtonorth.ca. Kids ages 5 to 9 can take a journey through time this summer with the Prince George Public Library. It happens Wednesdays starting July 5th at the Nechackle branch from 10.30 to 11.30 and Thursdays starting July 6th at the Downtown branch from 10.30 to 11.30. These are free drop-in sessions with weekly activities and the chance to win great prizes in the Summer Reading Club. So get ready for a journey through time this summer at both branches of the Prince George Public Library. Volunteer and be a part of BMO Community Arts Days July 7th and 8th. Volunteer for a two- to three-hour shift or more and receive a free BMO Community Arts t-shirt and lunch and be entered into the Volunteer Appreciation Raffle. Volunteer application forms are available through the Join and Support menu at tworiversgallery.ca. Help make the next BMO Community Arts Days a success. Volunteer today at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in Canada Games Plaza. Forecast from Environment Canada. Sunny today, a mix of sun and cloud this afternoon with a 30% chance of showers and the risk of a thunderstorm late this afternoon. A high of 26 with a high UV index. Partly cloudy tonight with a low of 8. For Saturday, a mix of sun and cloud, the risk of a thunderstorm late in the afternoon, a high of 28 with a high UV index. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. We've got another uh, big announcement that, that Premier EB was at. He was just running from podium to podium last Friday. Uh, Prince George is going to be opening up a new biodiesel f- plant. Apparently 3,000 barrels of what they're calling low-carbon fuel will be produced uh, out of Prince George every day in the coming months. Uh, I guess my question is, biodiesel is uh, made from vegetable oil. Uh, we use our diesel to transport things like vegetables uh are we making more are we are we composting or making making oil out of these vegetables so that we can ship more vegetables around uh when in fact we should be really just growing vegetables closer to home and not need as much (laughs) biodiesel (laughs) uh eric is this just some kind of weird circular thing going on uh partly yeah it's uh but biodiesel a little bit more than that they uh one of the things they put in there is say tallow. Okay. Well, tallow comes from dead animal bones. Oh, yeah. And, and these, you know, we have one here out on the old Caribou Road where they're slaughtering all the time. People can't get their animals slaughtered around here anymore. If you don't meet your appointment with like to get your sheep done, you could end up having to go to Smithers to do it. So they have to find a way to, to get this stuff done. And so a lot of this stuff, like in the old, uh, 
uh, slaughterhouses is going to go into the process there. And then they're going to have the, uh, uh, what the hell did you call that, canola oil? They have the canola oil. And then there's going to be byproducts coming from this plant that Canfor is making. He has a contract with Australia to make the same thing. And they'll pipe that over to uh, Husky and or Tidewater, and they'll process it all. So the end result of all of this, aside from the stink, is uh, there's less... Uh, pollution from biodiesel than there is from regular diesel. And so therefore, it meets two purposes. You reduce the uh, environmental damage. 89% reduction in carbon. But, yeah, but you still keep your the power you get from the diesel. So, that's what they're after. Biodiesel. Uh, yeah, 30 jobs, I guess. I mean, yeah. that's yeah far fewer than than the pulp mill had, but hey, it's, uh, it's, it's something anyway. All right, what do you think about this? Well, I disagree about it cutting emissions by 80 to 90 percent. As far as I can see, that's based on the idea that as plants grow and uh, the canola grows, it absorbs carbon dioxide. So then they say, well, emissions from burning, it doesn't count. Well, nonsense. We call it surface carbon. Yeah, yeah, that's nonsense. When you burn the stuff, it's putting this carbon dioxide into the air. And now, if if you use that same land to grow food instead, you wouldn't be burning it. You wouldn't be putting the carbon dioxide in there. So, yeah, that's a bogus argument. Um, Now, this is made from plant waste materials or from crops deliberately grown for this purpose. So you're going to be growing a lot of canola on farmland just to feed this plant. You're going to process it into uh, the oil and put the oil in tankers, haul it all the way to Prince George, and then refine it into a fuel that gets mixed with diesel. So, has anybody done the the numbers on how much CO2 is emitted from all that processing? I kind of doubt it. Uh, I I remember an article many years ago by Todd Whitcomb when he was talking about biodiesel, and he said he had the numbers at that time that uh, the uh, emissions, totally emissions from producing biofuels was greater than the emissions just from burning diesel. So, you know, it, it's not worth it as far as I can see. It's, it's all for show. Uh, no, I'm, I'm happy to see more industry in Prince George and more jobs. But, you know, the other thing is what happens, uh, what happens in the winter months? Now, I've heard of people trying biodiesel mixed with regular diesel. In the winter, and if it's 40 below, that stuff congeals in the tank. <laughs> That's right. So, you, know, you have to have an electric heater in your tank, I think. You would have to. And and what happens if you park overnight or something? You're going to have to have that heat on all the time. Well, same with the electric car. You better have a plug-in all the time up there. It, it, yeah. it depends how the biodiesel is processed. I'm sure this will be, uh, I don't know the exact technical specs, but, uh, yeah, uh, sorry to jump in. I think, I think both Eric and... Um, and Art are uh, correct. I think there's uh, winners and losers in this proposal. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but um, we've got a big uh, bio uh, dump there for biosolids out in Fort St. James. So all the waste from our local slaughterhouses, we've only got Kiwano and a, and a few of the other ones. It actually gets dumped in a big uh, plastic lined pit there up by Fort St. James. A lot of that stuff could be turned into fuel. That would be a positive use of that waste uh, product. Um, by the way, as a side note, a lot of leather, a lot of hides get dumped in there as well. We don't have any leather event, uh, processing anywhere in BC, so that just gets tossed. Uh, but um, 
uh, and then cooking oil and any kind of waste from restaurants could be thrown into the biodiesel uh, process there. But uh, yeah, Art's absolutely right. I mean, what we're going to grow a bunch of canola uh, for biodiesel? It's a total scam. Um, if you look at uh, the federal government, and uh, you, you, you guys remember all of the big outroar about the uh, fertilizer. The government's going to take away the fertilizer from the farmers. You know, people are on a big uproar about that earlier this year, about the federal government trying to regulate fertilizer pollution on farmland across the prairies. All of that increase in nitrogen pollution is from two main crops, and that's uh, canola and cow corn. Okay, both of these crops are primarily not for feeding people, right? These are two, um, actually, the worst kind of GMO crops there are they're uh, basically 100 percent of the gmo pro- uh, crops grown in canada for herbicide resistance so not only are you just wasting farmland for non-food production these are massive uh, sprayed with massive amounts of herbicides to basically wipe out any kind of plant that isn't uh, one of these uh, desired crop plants you're leading leading to landscapes ecological desert landscapes uh, with no biodiversity, no, like weeds are sometimes good. You actually need a few weeds in with the crop for other insects and other things to feed on, and that's what birds yeah, need. Yeah, to have an ecosystem in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, there's ways to do agriculture where you actually uh, provide something for other critters under, other than just uh, greedy humans. So we're basically monopolizing the landscape for one or two crops and we're turning into biodiesel. Uh, increasing, nit- like if you look at the nitrogen requirements of canola, it's huge. It's it's like 50% more than hay. So yeah, you know, where you does look the at, nitrogen come from? Well, it comes from fossil fuels. There you go. Is that are they including that in the calculation? That's, Absolutely that's not. To Art's point, yeah, yeah, that's actually that's a really good point. I didn't even think about. I, I love the idea of biodiesel. Hey, like I'm driving my van around. I just have to stop by the McDonald's and go in the back there where they have their old, you know, their their uh, their old fry oil and just fill my van up. I love that idea. But that's not realistic. This is this is about actually farming like millions of new. Uh, tons of these of these other uh, of, you know as you say GMO crops yeah. in order to but, but like I say and like Eric said you know if this is about using uh, waste from um, meat processing if this is about using uh, f- uh, you know energy sources from uh, slash piles out in the bush from from the wood then then by all means I think it's a great uh, thing all right well, we're gonna take we're gonna take a short break we'll be back after these messages. The North Central Seniors Association has regular weekly activities in the basement of the College Heights Baptist Church, featuring yoga, pool and cards on Monday, Tai Chi, Scrabble and Pool on Wednesdays, and Cards, Scrabble and Pool on Fridays. They also host a weekly coffee social on Thursdays and a monthly breakfast club. Weekly activities will come to a close for the summer with a season-ending barbecue and silent auction this morning from 10.30 to noon. Full details are available on their website, ncsapg.break. If you're interested in your family history, drop by the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library on Thursdays from 1230 to 130 for the Genealogy Club. It's a free drop-in club where you can make use of the library's genealogy collection and online resources and talk to other family researchers. Experts with experience in Métis and First Nations genealogical research are also available to chat with. The Genealogy Club, Thursdays from 1230 to 130 at the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library. Check out Creative Space Sunday at Two Rivers Gallery. This Sunday at 1, you'll use tissue paper and clear tape to make a sun catcher for you to enjoy for the rest of the summer. Featuring a new activity each week, Creative Space Sunday is free for members with a nominal fee for non-members. No registration is required. Just drop in and enjoy the fun. It's a creative way to welcome the summer. Make a sun catcher 1 o'clock Sunday at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in Canada Games Plaza. 
Learn about dementia from anywhere by participating in the Alzheimer's Society of BC's live Wednesday webinars. Discover how to begin early legal, health care, and financial planning to prepare for your future Wednesday from 2 to 3. Registration and more details are available through the webinars section at alzbc.org. Planning for health care, legal, and financial decisions Wednesday from 2 to 3 from the Alzheimer's Society of BC through alzbc.org. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. we got a final segment here with your after 9 panel. That's Eric Allen, Art Betke, and James Steidel. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about these federal by-elections that came around last week. Um, I feel like the the, uh, the headline here should actually be Maxime Bernier cannot win a seat. Uh, he, <laughs> he <laughs> In the Manitoba riding of Portage-Lisker, uh, he was a distant second with 17% of the vote, but the conservative candidate Brandon Leslie won with 65%. What I'm reading here is that the other, there were three more, um, by-elections. Uh, really the, the outcomes are two and two, two conservative, two liberal. Really the parties that had the vote, uh, before, had the seat before, kept their seats. But when you look at the results, I believe, uh, it's three of the four, um, Three of those four ridings saw increases in liberal votes and, and reductions in conservative votes. So even though the outcomes are the same, there was actually a loss of vote share for the conservatives in three of the four ridings. Um, you know, we don't we don't look at by elections as as bellwethers for the future, but there are people in the conservative party right now looking at uh, Pierre Polyavre and asking whether or not he's going to be able to actually pull off a win against what is frankly a really embattled uh, Trudeau. Uh, Art, what do you think about this, these these uh, results, and what, what do you think they're going to say for the uh, next federal election? I wasn't really surprised by them because I saw a poll recently that said that uh, Trudeau is in the lead. Uh, Trudeau liberals are in the lead, um, so it's it's not surprising that uh, you get these results. Um, the, I, I mean, I thought Pierre Polyev would do much better uh, as leader; that he would. Uh, gather a whole lot more votes because uh, the previous uh, conservative leaders they've been uh, basically liberal light they haven't really been conservatives and uh, they that that factored hugely in their losses in uh, political battles that they should have won and then i hear see there's another poll recently that says the conservatives have a lead so oh it's it's all confusing um uh, the whole idea that uh, that the conservatives are going to sweep the country is is iffy. You know, I think if they do win, they'll get a minority and no more than that. As far as uh, Max Bernier, uh, boy, he blew it. <laughs> but, but you know, he he was the leading contender for the conservative leadership about three races ago, and uh, there was. He had the most support, and then somebody folded, and he lost because they went to support the second. Yeah, really, it was because of the system, right? Because of the the election system. And he got all upset and offended and in a snit, and he quit the Conservative Party. Took his ball and went home. Yeah, and, and went to start another one. Well, you know, if he had stuck around... He would have won the next go-around. O'Leary wouldn't have been in there. He'd have been in there. And a lot of people like, you know, a lot of conservative people, the more conservative-leaning members, they, they like his policies. So, yeah, he probably would have won. And I suspect he, you know, 
because the Conservatives got more votes than the Liberals last go-around, I suspect he would be Prime Minister right now if he hadn't done mm. that. And yeah. so he, he's, he's trying to pull out what the Reform Party did, you know, put off a splinter party and then basically take over. Well, that's never going to happen. All he's good doing is splitting the vote and helping the Liberals. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, this uh, this running off and deciding. 70%, that's actually a quite quite a good result for uh, the fourth the fourth party or fifth party, right? Uh, and actually came in second place. Can you imagine, like, where, where those People's Party of Canada votes would be putting conservative uh, yeah. elect- elections right now? James, what do you think? I think ultimately um, there's there's a huge void in the electoral uh, landscape of, of Canada. I think um, I think a lot of people are looking for that the old progressive conservative um, politician, and, and we don't really find that. We kind of uh, Pierre Polivier, uh, however you pronounce that name, there. Um, I don't. He's not providing that. I think people people are are starting to realize he doesn't really have anything to offer Canadians. Um, you know Trudeau, he's made some big mistakes, but uh, I'm looking around the table. He's he's the best leader there is out of any of the parties. I don't think you can uh, you can deny that. I mean, you might hate him, but uh, come on, you, you tell me that Pierre's a, a better pick pick than that. What about Jay? Is Jagmeet uh, what what's he bringing to the table? Um, Elizabeth May, you know the the Green Party's kind of really gone off the rails there in the last yeah, for uh, real in the last now little got while. Co leader so, something. She, so she's yeah, back with knows? somebody else. Yeah, yeah. Um, it definitely does not, uh, and you know, if if Pierre was such a great uh, leader, he would have won all those by elections, or, or at least a, a couple more of them. You know, the it's very unusual for a governing party, especially one that's been in power as long as the as long as the uh, federal Liberals, to win by elections like that. So, uh, I think it shows uh, shows you what uh, the people probably agree with what I just said. Eric, you think we've got another, uh, based on these very unscientific results, you think we've got another term coming for the Liberals next election? Oh, certainly possible. I, you know, these political parties are bumming money all the time, so I got another dunner the other day. So I just wrote on it, quit bumming money and get to work, and I mailed it back to him. <laughs> you know, I've had it with these guys. You know. If they're not going to do the job, get out. So uh, did you get a letter from the Liberals? No, I got so you know a little off topic. A little off topic, but I've never given money to the Liberal Party, whether provincial or federal. I know they're not they're not linked, but I got a letter from the Liberals, and I wonder where the f did you get my name and address? So they're buying they're they're buying that from somebody, right? Like whether it's in the magazine subscription or conservative guy probably crossed the floor and took the list with him. I'm getting a bunch of (laughs) Olivia Chow uh, emails there for the Toronto mayor thing. Like, are you are you a Toronto voter? No, that'd be that'd be something to pull off. Wow, where they get? Yeah, so where'd they get? Yeah, where'd they get your email from? Did you give mine to the NDP at some point? Yeah, they probably bought the NDP. uh, Yes, yeah. There's a latent bleed there or something, right? I'm, I'm outed. Yeah. <laughs> well, my parents were staunch NDP supporters. They're deeply disappointed in me. And uh, I know they did contribute money to the NDP at some point. I don't know how much, but I know they did. And so this is, you're just a rebel now, hey? Oh, like you're, you're I, rebelling I, against your parents, Art? Is that how you so came disappointed to your... in me. Well, they're gone, long gone now, so. But yeah, while, while they were alive, they, they were. 
quite sad that I had gone to the oh, enemy. We'll get you back. Uh, we'll get you back here sooner I don't later. think so. <laughs> <laughs> All we need is a, is a reasonable NDP platform, right? I mean, actually... That's an oxymoron. <laughs> it's funny because I see the the NDP in the, the province here providing that kind of reasonable I don't know, democratic socialism, but they're far more to the center than... The, the NDP uh, are I think, federally. I think, yeah. I think what we're missing is is a party that stands up for the small businesses. It wants to stand up to the monopolies. It wants to uh, give some teeth to things like the Competition Bureau of Canada. You know, that's what we're missing. Nobody wants to challenge this neoliberal kind of big business, corporate-captured system we got going right now. All right. Well, you got the last word on that, James. Thanks very much, and thanks for everyone for coming in. Oh, we got a plug for next Thursday. We've got Art... Betke and Todd Whitcomb debating climate change Thursday at the on the After 9 show. So please tune in. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Darren Guess, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. Listen for a rebroadcast of today's program tonight at 10. And for past shows, check out the archives link at CFISFM.com. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email CFISFM at yahoo.ca. This is 93.1 CFISFM Prince George, proudly supported by community organizations like the Canadian Home Builders Association of Northern BC. Check them out online at chbanorthernbc.ca.